Good morning, everybody. Well, God bless Alabama. Thank you. Yeah, that first service a little weak. Now, we do, a, we do about 60 seminars a year, and this is our 26th year to do this, so we, we've pretty much been in every state. And uh, only Texas is a very unique state. You go anywhere in Texas, God bless you, Corpus Christi, Dallas. If you say God bless Texas, a revival will break out. They'll jump up, and they'll holler, and they'll scream and shout. Now, if I go to Connecticut and I say, God bless Connecticut, they'll just stare at me. Like, why? <laughs> and so, but Texas, they'll have, I finally have to get them to sit down and calm down. And I do it every time. I say, well, guys, I'm, I'm glad you love Texas. I said, now, personally, I'm an Okie. I said, the greatest thing about being an Okie is whipping a Texan. We'd rather whip you than anybody. We don't care if our football team goes 0-12. If we beat Texas, there's a God to heaven, and he loves us. And usually they'll, they'll clap. they just get us because we do love Texas. Uh, my dad had 12 brothers and sisters, and of the 12, 10 when they grew up in East Tennessee, Ducktown, Tennessee, uh, 10 of the 12 moved to Texas. And we'd have family reunions and said, how come everybody's going to Texas? What's in Texas? I said, well, Davy Crockett went to Texas. It's good for Davy Crockett. It's good for us. And that was their answer, and they believed that. So God bless Texas. Now, uh, I teach on the family. I was an engineer for 12 years, and I loved my job, and then God dealt with me about ministry, and so we quit our job and went to Bible school and got out, got on staff for the local church, and I was uh, put in charge of the, I was the education director, and I asked them, what is that? So we're in charge of the education. Do you have any curriculum? And they said, no. Well, what am I teaching? Well, whatever you want to. And so we were one of those early um, mega churches in the 70s. We were running 3,000 people every Sunday, and we didn't know why. Uh, we didn't know why they came. Uh, we didn't bother asking them. Uh, people said, so we have three Sunday morning services and Sunday night. And they said, well, do you have a bus minister? Oh, yeah. We have three buses at every Sunday morning service. So where do you get your kids from? We don't get them from anywhere. And they said, if you come to our church, you have a child between 5 and 12, we make them get on the bus. You can't come in the building. You get on the bus, we bus you about a mile down the road at an empty shopping center we're renting out. So your kids can't come. We don't have room for them. So for several years, we didn't, we didn't have room for anybody. And people said, how are you growing? We don't know. Where they come from? We don't have a clue. Would you street witness? No. Dear Lord, we don't go witness to anybody. Just, we, don't, we don't have room for the ones that are coming now. We're just trying to take care of the ones that are coming now. Well, eventually that stopped. You know, the church stopped growing. Then we dropped from 3,000, 2,500, 2,500, 2,000, 2,050. And the tub was draining. And what happened was other churches started popping up in our city. And we've got a lot of Bible schools in our city, so churches are popping up. And so we realized, uh, this is sort of a summation, we realized one day we're going to have to become a real church. We're actually going to have to witness to somebody and actually invite them to church. And, uh, and it stretched us, but it, it saved us too. So there's a growing up process for everybody. Now, um, uh, when I worked as an engineer, I was what they call a process engineer. I'm not a mechanical engineer. I'm not an electrical engineer. I'm a process. I study processes. So three companies hired me. I, 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 they made me do one thing. When a company hired me, uh, I'm to make sure that what they're making is true that if we go down here to uh, Home Depot or Lowe's and I buy your product, it better do what the box says. I'm going to prevent you from lying about your product. But then after they hire me, I have one year to make that product better. I am to improve the process of that manufacturer. A year from now, we better be making better money with that product we're producing. So we would do that all the time. And so one of the things that I work for a great engineer who is very different. And so about two or three times a year, we go visit a competitor. And he said one day, Joe, we're going to fly to Atlanta. I said, what for? Well, Southwire is the largest wire manufacturing company in America, and there are big plants in Atlanta. I said, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to go and ask them what they do. I said, they're not going to tell us. 
Sure, it's the heathens love to brag about stuff. They'll tell us. So we got a plane ticket. We flew to Atlanta, went to Southwire, knocked on the door. Hensley could help you. And the reception said, yeah, uh, my name's Bill Clark. It's Joe McGee. We're, we want to see your engineer, your head engineer. Do you have an appointment? No, huh? we just flew into town. We'd like to see him. And so the head engineer came out, and we repeated. He said, I'm Bill Clark. This is Joe McGee. We're, we're uh, one of your competitors in Sykes, Missouri, and uh, uh, Southwest Markloff, and said, uh, uh, we would like to take a tour of your plant. He said, what for? Well, because you do stuff better than we do, and we'd like to see how you do it. And he stared at us just for a minute. I'm not making it. He just said, and so he read his head back and bust out laughing and said the five most elegant cuss words I've ever had. Well, blankety, blank, blank, blank. Come on in. <laughs> and the guy gave us a tour. Now, we're only looking for one product. They made a product that we can make 1,000 feet a minute. It's 18-gauge stuff. It's the stuff that we wire wires with in this building. So uh, we made everything, you know, 12-2, 14-2, 18-gauge, 26-gauge. But we're looking at this one product line that was a big money maker. We could not make it faster than 1,000 feet a minute because if you pull it too tight, it reduces the diameter. Electricity doesn't flow on, through the wire. It flows on the wire. So if you get it too narrow, you start a fire and burn the house down. So we can make it 1,000 feet. We're good engineers. Well, they claim they can make it 4,000 feet a minute. We said, that's a lie. Because we're good engineers. Yeah, nobody can make that 4,000 feet. You can't, you can't do it. So when we took the tour, we're only looking for one thing. We didn't lie, but we just didn't tell the truth. <laughs> I wanted to take, we wanted to see what they were doing. We're looking at a competitor. But we're looking for that one product line. And so pretty soon we came, and there it was. And the minute we saw it, we didn't even need a, we didn't need a blueprint. I thought, well, I'll be. That's how they do it. And what they had, uh, because you pull that wire off, it's real thin, you can't pull it too fast because you've got to keep brakes on that reel. If you pull it too fast, you'll reduce the diameter. You can't do that. What they'd done, they'd, they'd built a giant Playtex bra, massive Playtex bra, eight-foot diameter, two big tubes, and they'd turn that wire sideways, and they were pulling it off like a spool of thread. Well, they can get it 4,000 feet a minute, and they don't reduce the diameter because there's no pressure on it. And I thought, that's what they did. And so we went back to the town, and we found a local, you know, in manufacturer guy. He said, hey, we need, to, we need a giant Playtex bra. Two eight-foot diameter cones go down to a point. And he, he, he laughed, but it took three months, and he finally built us one. Stainless steel, no, no things, real slick. See, that wire, you know, didn't pull on anything. And so uh, we did that, and he built it. So three months later, we were making it for the first time ever, 4,000 feet a minute. Actually, we made it 4,100 feet a minute. And uh, two Christmases before, we'd had two layoffs two years in a row because business was not good, the economy was bad in the 70s, and we were laying people off. You don't want to lay somebody off, but you sure don't want to lay them off at Christmas time. And, man, that was bad. Man, we can't do this. So what do we do? We've got to get better at something. So finally, this was our big, biggest profit maker, and now we can make it 4,000 feet a minute. We never had another layoff at Christmas time. How'd that happen? Well, we went and visited a competitor. Most of humans are trying to out-brag everybody, out-hunt, out-shoot, out-golf, out-hunt. They don't want to ask questions. They want to out-brag everybody. I've been to family reunions my whole life. My dad's got 12 brothers and sisters, so does my father-in-law. It's a bragging contest. Well, I shot this, and I coughed this, and I did this, and I did this. Well, that's not something. I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And so it's, it's, a, it's the liars from hell. <laughs> and we get in that habit as soon as we leave our mother's womb because when you leave our mother's womb, now, I had a great childhood. Uh, uh, I was the oldest, and then my sister came along three years later. So uh, until I went to school, and back when I went to school, kindergarten had not been invented yet. There was no kindergarten. There was just first grade. 
So I went first grade, and I was barely five. I just barely turned five, and so we go to first grade. Well, I've been by myself living in the country with my parents. I'm the, I'm, I'm, I'm the king of everybody's. I'm, I'm the head. I'm the first male child that's been born in our family, and everybody worshiped me. I'm somebody. And I still had a bird haircut, and we had a little 900-square-foot rent house, and I had a bird haircut until I was seven. We didn't, nobody combed hair. You just bird it off. And so I'm wearing mostly girl shirts because all my cousins were females. So I went to public school. I wore a white shirt with pink outs that buttoned backwards. I have a shaved head. I'm not, pro- I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm just going to school. But I realized in school we had a reading group, and there were three reading groups. There's reading group number one, reading group number two, and reading group number three. Well, I was in number three. I didn't think anything about it. I'm in reading group number three. Now, this is before phonics were invented. You know, you remember those? Excuse it. Run, Jane, run. Run fast. See spot, run. Run spot. Run fast spot. It was deep. Well, I realized about two months, two months into school that I'm in reading group number three, and that means I'm the doofus. And then all of a sudden there's competition, and, and then you get on the playground for 30 minutes a day, and you've got to get to the top of that jungle gym, and you've got to race for a nice, and, and you realize, hey, I'm the center of my life, but I'm no longer the center of my life. Everybody else is better than me, faster than me, doing my life. So, man, it was on. And, and so that's what happens with uh, young boys, and I was teaching in the seminar. Boys outnumber girls 13 to 1 in remedial reading classes in America because we learn different than girls. We're not dumber. We just learn different. Uh, South Carolina proposed a law about 12 years ago. They're going to separate boys and girls in public school through the fifth grade because girls learn different than boys. When it's a baby girl in the mother's womb, I don't care if that woman's got quadruplets. When it's a baby girl, that mother's body will produce a chemical bath if it's a baby boy and wash over the developing brain of that baby boy. And what that chemical bath does, it it destroys about 40% of the connection between the left and right hemisphere. So when a boy's born, he's a left or right brain dominated. No chemical bath for a girl is ever made by the human body. Girls come out using both sides of the brain. <laughs> and so that's why you go to school and the competition, I, I mean, it's, it's on immediately. And it, uh, boys competing against the girls, girls and boys. And, and so girls are smarter. And that's why around third or fourth grade, boys become a, the class clown, the class bully, the class whatever. Why? They can't compete with the girls. Girls can out-talk, out-think, out-spell, out, they're doing everything better. Wow, what is this? Well, they're, they're, they're working different. But around the ninth grade, boys pick up and pass the girls. Uh, 95% of all patents in our country are registered by males, not females. God made us different. M- most airline pilots are males, not females. Now, if I have a female pilot, I'm very thankful. Because I, I, I fly 60 times a year. Every plane I get on, I lay hands on that plane when I go in. That, nobody knows what I'm doing. They think I'm just bracing myself. God bless this plane. And bless these pilots. Now I look into the pilots. Every time I go to my wife, so I look and look at the pilots. And if I see a female pilot, I'm a very happy man because I know she's using both sides of her brain. <laughs> when only men flew, you needed two of them up there. That's, I'm just making that up. But it makes sense. So anyhow, there was this learning process where you, you come out of your mother's womb and it's competition right off the bat. And so Somewhere during life, somebody told you, you're dumb. Man, you're dumber than dirt. You're stupid. I don't even know why we had you. you don't, you're not going to amount to a hill of beans. I saw a hill of beans one time. Sykes, Missouri had a soybean plant. And that was a big hill of beans. That's what my daddy was talking about right there, a hill of beans right there. And so the, the devil shows up early through people that love you, your relatives and your grandmother and your grandparents and your aunts and uncles. and say, man, you're dumb. Boy, you're just stupid, man. When are you going to grow up? And I'm very think, well, tell me when I grow up, because I like to get there pretty quick, because I'm tired of being on the bottom of the food chain. And so hell shows up early 
if you don't know what to do when you have a child because they are what you say as a man thinks his heart so is he they're going to believe what they've heard the most that's why you're supposed to meditate in the word day and night third john 2 joshua 1 8 psalms 1 through 3 if you meditate in the word day and night you know who you are in him in whom and in christ it's not based on my IQ or my GPA or where I went to school or if I didn't go to school. It's based on God Almighty. I belong to God the Father. He's my Father. I can run boldly to the throne of grace every time I need help. And you realize grace and mercy. So, you know, you come before God, grace and mercy. You need grace and mercy in time of need. Well, I'm going to run boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in time of need. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is when you premeditated sin on purpose. You know. Now, I grew up in church. I've been in church since the day after I was born. Every Sunday morning, Sunday night, training union, Wednesday night, I never missed church. Carried about my whole life. I never read it. I just thought it was like Tinkerbell with a magic wand. You wave it at the devil and it's scary. <laughs> no, it's, it's Christ in you coming out of your mouth, not in your hand. So, so I realized something, you know, I'm having this learning process. So thank goodness the spirit-filled businessman crossed my path and got me rededicated my life and got me filled with the Holy Ghost. And people said, when did your life change? Well... It really wasn't when I was born again. I, I made sure I had my ticket punched to go to heaven. But my life changed and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. It's never been the same. I can't walk on water yet, and, I, and I'm not raising any dead people, although I've tried one time. Uh, I am a different person. I realize I can do things I couldn't do before. Because, the, you know, uh, I collected uh, biographies when I was a school administrator for 10 years. I collected over 1,200 biographies of people who are millionaires and multimillionaires in America. They became millionaires. All of them, none of them finished school. I did this on purpose. Now I'm a school administrator. Uh, all eight of our kids have college degrees. Uh, they're born again, spiritually go to church, do mission things. That doesn't make them perfect. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect children because there's no perfect parents. A child is fully tossed just like their teacher. And I'm many times just said, man, what's wrong with my kids? My wife said, go look in the mirror. They're just like you. You have reproduced yourself, good measure, pressed down. And I thought, man, I don't need my kids to change. I need to change. I got to grow up. So when we're going through this the whole process, when I got on staff, I said, I was an education director. What am I going to do? Well, you're educating the people. What about whatever they need to know? So I realized we didn't know anything about marriage or parenting. Now, we're a very large spirit-filled church, the first mega church in Oklahoma. Well, we got 3,000 people, and we can't rub two verses together. And uh, I had a big Christian school I was in charge of, and, and we changed some things. I said, listen, uh, we had chapel, and I do not believe in chapel in the Christian school. Still don't. Uh, I worked for Oral Roberts University for 10 years. We traveled all over America accrediting Christian schools. You want a school? We'd take you to a three-year process to get you accredited. First, we're going to try to scare you out of it because you make sure you hear from God and not some parent. If you haven't heard from God, that's going to eat you for lunch and spit you out sideways. Because, um, so, so anyhow, I was watching. The, I had a guy teaching chapel, and I'd go sit in the back because every day after chapel, I'd have a half dozen kids in my office. Mr. you need to bust them. You just need to bust them. Because in Oklahoma, we can still switch, swat, paddle, and spank. It's still legal in our state. And now, now, there are rules. Now, I, I can switch, swat, paddle, and spank. But if I leave a bruise in my state, that's a misdemeanor. Punishment by $250,000 fine and one year in jail. So you better not do anything you're not supposed to do. And so I kept two paddles in my office, one big, one small, based on your stature. And I told the kids, they all knew, your parents signed their waiver. I can... I can bust you, and I will. I don't want to. I want to be like Santa Claus stuck upside down in your chimney. Uh, every year we started school on Wednesday. Never started school on Monday, started on Wednesday. I never let my kids go to class. I only let them see me. 
So I put them in a big auditorium, uh, 7th through 12th grade. I'm the only guy they get to listen to for three days. And, and I start the first day off, same way I start the next three days. My name's Mr. Gee. I said, uh, you have a lot of enemies in your life. I'm not one of them. Next to God, I'm the biggest blessing in your life. But if you get in trouble and you come to my office uninvited, I'm going to bust you. So don't come uninvited. Just don't come. And so I had students that would come every now and then, bless their heart. Now, when they would come to my office, I did the same thing every time. If you come to my office the first time, teachers got, get out of the office, man. You're going to bust it. So the first time they'd come, my staff hated this. They come to my office and said, what are you doing here? Well, he just got mad at me. He said, what are you doing? Well, I was acting up. Really? Why? Well, I don't know. Well, praise God. Well, come on back here. And so I take it back in the kitchen. So we always kept two dozen chocolate donuts in the kitchen for the staff. So anyway, get you a couple of donuts there. What? Shut your mouth. Pick up two donuts. Grab you a Pepsi out of the fridge. Come back in there. So I have to bring it back in the office, and I let them eat a chocolate donut and drink a Pepsi. And they're just staring at me and think, he's nuts. He's nuts. And then I had a picture of me when I was in the first grade. Uh, uh, Miss Morgan's class, Hickson Elementary. There, I think, oh, goodness, like 31, 32 of us in the class. And uh, all the boys had bird haircuts. All the girls wore dresses. They used to wear dresses to school. And so, and so I had a $5 bill taped to that picture. I said, why are you eating your donuts? If you guess which one of those I am, I'll give you that $5. And the teacher thought I was gambling. I didn't gamble because nobody ever won that $5. Nobody. And so if you win that, I, and so I tried to tell the kids, hey, kids, I'm a blessing to you. I love you. And I said, uh, first time you come, you're a guest. But if you ever come to my office again, there'll be no chocolate donuts. There'll be no Pepsi. And I'm going to lift you off the ground. So don't come the second time. I'm being very loving and forgiving, but not the second time. And then some would push it. Now, what I realized, if you don't have rules, regulations, rewards, and punishments, humans will go nuts. You know what makes America one of the safest nations to be in? We have laws. And if you don't obey the law, we have people with bubbles on their car that will help you obey the law. If you don't drive the speed limit, people with bubbles on their car will help you drive the speed limit. Judgment always starts in the house of God. I used to get kids get mad at me. How come you're getting on to me? I said, because we have a rule in our house. We don't do that. Well, they're doing it. They're not in my house. You're in my house, and you can't do that. And so I had rules for my family because I want you to live a long time, grow up, and leave home. The goal is for you to leave home. Children are a gift from God. I love you. I'm going to, we birthed you, bathed you, taught you how to wipe yourself, feed yourself, brush your teeth, get dressed, pass algebra, got you a date for the prom, got you through college, paid for your wedding, paid for your, you know, your honeymoon, bought your first two cars. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. But I told them during the seminar, I said, every one of my kids that got married, I held my hand out at the wedding day that I'm paying for. I said, put your door key in my hand. And I said, don't you ever come back to my house unless I invite you. <laughs> now, my wife's still not in agreement on that, and she can give you the other side of the story. And so uh, I said, and, uh, and when you come, you call first, and when you come, you bring food. <laughs> Lots of food. And leave the leftovers with me. And then before it gets dark, you go home. <laughs> and you take your children with you. <laughs> I've raised my children. Did a really good job. This is your turn. You get to raise yours. Now, there are situations where you've got to help out and things happen. People go stupid, whatever. People would die. You know, I had a daughter, husband died on her. And, uh, and so you have to kick in and help. But normal adults, the goal is to train you up to be an adult. You're trying to become an adult. There was, the word teenager did not exist in the Webster Dictionary until the 30s. There was no such thing as teenager. There was a child. There was an adult. You were a child, you became an adult. We invented the teenage thing. What is that? Well, that's where you get to 
wear your hat backwards and wear the britches of a 400-pound man, turn your music up real loud, and just stay in your room. We turn bedrooms into apartments. That's not your apartment. That's your bedroom. God designed the average human to sleep a third of their life. You're supposed to sleep a third of your life, so go to sleep. Close your eyes. Turn out the light. <laughs> and, uh, and so there were nothing electronic in any bedrooms in my home. I had a nice big old house. It's a nice house. I got a swimming pool in the backyard. And got a big TV theater, and, uh, but no phones. When you go to bed, you leave your cell phone on the kitchen counter. Because you're not going to talk to me about 2 o'clock in the morning because your brain leaks out. And if you talk at 2 o'clock in the morning, you'll say something stupid. <laughs> and so I had a son. My youngest is my male. And so I got this expensive phone bill one day. Like, what in the world? What is, what is this? So I, I had to call. Hey, this, I've got the big bill. You can't charge me. No, you're going way over your limit. No, man, we only talk because of emergency. No, and so it was my son's cell phone number. Well, he's in high school and he's in love. So he's going to bed at night and he's texting. So what I did, uh, I called my phone and I said, can I get a printed copy of that? And you can. So a month later, I get this big old thick stack of paper here on FedEx in the mail and I open it up. Now, what these, these are all the text, my son's text, because everything you say on a phone is permanent record. It lasts forever. If you text it, it's permanent record. You can burn your phone, put it in the bottom of the well. There's a record of what you said and what you text. So don't say stupid. Don't text stupid. The Bible says Matthew 18, 9. You got something with somebody? Sell it one-to-one, face-to-face, not on some text. I'll tell you what I think. You're an idiot. <laughs> so my son came home, and I had some chocolate chip cookies. My wife and me, hey, sit down, son, have some cookies. Oh, thanks, Dad. And so we're talking to the table, and he's drinking stuff. I said, hey, look what I got here. Man, what is that? I said, well, these are all the cell phone calls and texts for the last month. And he got a little quiet. I said, now, I read the first page because these are all yours. I read the first page, and I pretty much wanted to kill you then. <laughs> so I so said, no reason to read the second or the other hundred are in here. I said, but what I need you to know is you kind of look at them just a minute. Everything you text that girl is permanent record. And what you need to understand is if I can get a copy, her daddy can get a copy. Would you like him to read this? I said, let your yes be yes and your no be no for all else perceived from the evil one. Don't go stupid on me. Have a relationship, but one-on-one. And because we had rules for dating, you know, if you go on a date, uh, the first five dates with us as a family at my house. I don't care how good looking you are. You don't have a right to take my daughter anywhere. I don't know you. You're just a doofus. Just because you're driving your daddy's car and your mama ironed your shirt and you're wearing your daddy's brute, that doesn't mean anything. Because, well, I love your daughter. No, you're a liar. Love's the most expensive four-letter word in the universe. It costs God everything to love us. You tell you love my daughter, do you have your own house? What? You still live with your mommy? Uh-huh. You're a liar. You can't even take care of you. You wash your own clothes? No. Who washes your clothes? My mommy. You're not an adult yet, you thumb sucker. Adam, the first man on this planet, had two things going for him. He had a relationship with God Almighty. They talked every day, and he had a job. He had a relationship with God, and he had a job. So if you don't have a relationship with God, you don't have a job, you don't need somebody to marry. You just need to get you a dog or a cat or a rat or something. Because marriage is the second greatest thing God ever made for mankind. 
It, it's a glorious thing, but there are rules to go with it. You're not ready to get married. You can't even take care of you. And you're supposed to be taking care of my daughter. And so the guys that did marry to my family, uh, I had, we did pre-marriage counseling for six months, so I'm one night a week for each month, six months, and so I had them read six books, do a book report. But then they came to me before they married. They said, I want you to bring me your last 12 bank statements to me. Bring your last 12 bank statements, put them on my desk. And I said, what are you doing? Well, I want to see where you're spending your money. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart is, and where your heart is, your treasure is. You say you love my daughter. How much money have you spent on my daughter in the last year? Now, if I don't say anything, you're a liar. Number two, are you a tither? Because if you're not a tither, you're not married into my family. Because if you're not a tither, you're under a curse. And so, once I looked at me, my future son law, he was only a seven percenter. And I did it three times. I said, You're not a tither. Tither's ten. You're a seven. I don't know what the name is for that, but you're not a tither. He said, Well, I'll become one. Well, good. You need to be. But you're not going to marry my daughter in three months. I'm going to postpone this wedding for a year. And as soon as you tithe for a year, then you can come back and we'll hook you back up. Now, my daughter was livid. I'm making this sound real funny, but, oh, there was some nasty to deal with on that deal. And I said, but, you know, uh, when God sent Israel into the promised land, the first city in the promised land was Jericho. There are ten cities in the promised land, major cities. The first Jericho. God said, Jericho is mine. I'm going to give you Jericho so you can give it back to me. Jericho is the tithe of the promised land. You're going to live in houses you didn't build, eat from vineyards you didn't plant. I'm going to bless you. But first, you have to sow a tithe because this planet's under a curse. The devil's a thief. I just want people are broke and busted and in debt and in prison and his orphanages are full, prisons are full. Why? Satan's the God of this planet. Right. Now I'm the preacher in my family. I do all the weddings and funerals because I'm free. I have people come, and they'll be always upset. Brother Joe, Brother Joe, so-and-so died. Why did God let this happen? I said, God didn't let this happen. He's not in charge. Yeah, God's all-powerful, all-knowing. No, he's not. He's not in charge. God gave this planet to Adam. Adam sinned and gave it away to the devil. Satan became the temporary legal God of this planet, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. John 10, 10, he steals, kills, and destroys. Hell's on this planet because God's not in charge. God is not allowed down here unless he gets invited. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not a religious thing. It's a legal thing. Jesus said eight times in the New Testament, you have not because you ask not. Ask that your joy might be made full. I'll do whatever you ask, but I won't do anything unless you ask. And people, well, if I can hurt, hurt bad enough, God will get moved and he'll help me. If I can cry long enough, God will move. No, God isn't moved by crying and tears. You can have all the pity you want. God's not moved by pity. He'll just stare at you. God, it's bad. Yes, it is. I'm in a mess. Yes, you are. Can you help me? No, I can't. Without faith, without faith, you can't please God. Without faith, you don't whip the devil. Faith is just believing what the Bible said. But you don't know what the Bible says. You can't rub two scriptures together. You don't have any faith. You don't have a sword of the Spirit. You've got a toothpick. And every time you poke the devil with it, it makes him mad. You need to be in the Word of God. So we realize on this planet, I was taken out of the kingdom of darkness today. I got born again, placed in the kingdom of God's dear Son. I'm still on an alien planet. This world is still not my home. Satan's still the God of this planet. He still kills himself. But I'm on this planet, but now I have a different relationship with God on this planet. I now have Ephesians 6, the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, sword of the spirit, shield of faith. I now have weapons. I, I don't fight eight hours a day. I fight 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a war. We've been promised victory, but we have to fight. 
And I have so many people that finally get born again, spirit filled. Man, I'll tell you what, ever since I got saved, I've had a hell of my life. Welcome to the family. I tell people, as long as you're not serving God, hell's not messing with you. Hell wants you to burn in a lake of fire. And if hell's got you, it's not messing with you. I never had nothing bad happen to me. It's because you don't know God from spitting the wind. But the day you get born again, you'll have hell's undivided attention. I was doing a funeral for my aunt, <laughs> Copperhead, Tennessee. I have an uncle that I love dearly. And, uh, but he's not saved. He's going to burn to hell if he don't get saved. And so we're, we're, I finished the sermon. We're going out to the, get in the hearse, go to the graveside service. And we're talking. He's, I love him. He's just real open. He said, you preachers, you just use that stuff to scare people into heaven. That's how you get big offerings. I said, what? He said, there's not a hell. You just made that up. Oh, yeah, there's a hell. No, there's not. And so, and so we're almost at the door, and I just stopped. And I just opened my Bible. I said, here, read something. What? I don't care. Start right there, verse 1. What for? Well, the Bible says when the word comes, the devil comes immediately. Since you don't believe he exists, read something. He'll show up. He just stared at me. Close that up. Oh, no, come here. Come here, Uncle. And he didn't make it to the graveside service. I have not seen him in three years. The Bible says truth will set you free. But truth is in this book. In case you don't know it, volume two is not coming out. God's hanging with volume one. Is he going to update it? Nope, it's all in there. It still, it still works. It's still good. So I got a short version of the story to give you right here this morning. This is Luke chapter 2. This is Jesus when he was 12. I kept thinking, well, if I'm going to teach on parenting, how did God grow up? Because God had to come here as a child. You know, it's kind of a different deal. God's in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Adam's just sin. He's got fire for his job, a victim from his house, and kids are killing each other. In Genesis 3, it went south in a hurry. I can imagine the father looking at his son. Son, look at him. Look at him. I knew he was going to go stupid. I'm done. Shot his foot off. Got fired. Got evicted. Kids are killing each other. What a mess. I'm going to have to send you down there to fix it, son. You're the only one I got. But you can't go like you. A human lost it. A human's got to get it back. So what I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to shove in that mother's womb. Now I'm going to say she's going to shove you out. And you're pretty much going to spend 30 years just figuring out who you are. And 30 years later, you're going to meet this camel hair buggy and Baptist. He's going to dunk you underwater. You're going to come up. I'm going to stick my hand out of heaven. You're it. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit's going to lead you in the wilderness, scruff against the devil. The Bible says the devil's been looking for, for the, uh, the Messiah since the beginning of time. God told the devil to guard, one day I'm going to come in the flesh and I'm going to take this back. Yeah. Well, the devil thought Moses was God. He heard the deliverer had been born. He didn't even possess his Pharaoh and he kills baby boys two years of age and under all up down the Nile River. Butchered baby boys. What happened? The devil's trying to kill God before he grows up. It wasn't, it wasn't Pharaoh, it was the devil. Also, some wise men following a star across the desert. And they come to Herod and say, what are you doing? Been following the star. The Messiah's been born. King of kings, been born. And Herod said, well, if you find him, come tell me that I can worship. Well, you know, they go off and they got the, you know, thing, bring all the gold and the incense. So the angel warns, don't go back. He's a liar. So they don't, they go a different way. And Herod realized they've lied to me. So he gets demon possessed. He goes into Bethlehem. He kills every male child two years of age and under. Butchers them all. Did he go mad? No. Hell's looking for God. The Bible says God was hidden. It wasn't information. It only comes by revelation. Until God stuck his finger to heaven, hell couldn't figure out where he was. He didn't know where he was. And God stuck his finger. Hey, here he is. Bring her on, big boy. And so Lucifer follows, you know, the Holy Ghost, Jesus out in the wilderness. So he's out there for 40 days. He's, he's fasting. Now, there's only three fasts in, in the Jewish culture. Three-day fast, seven-day fast, 40-day fast. He knows one day he's going for the big one. So the devil does not bother Jesus for 40 days. He's not stupid. He was the head archangel of heaven for eons of time. So he's watching him. He said, man, he's not eating. This doesn't look like the God that I serve. This is some smelly Jewish flesh. 
Because a liar never believes the truth. A liar never believes the truth. So all of a sudden, he waits till day 40 at Jesus' weakest moment. The Bible says the devil's going to attack me where I'm weak, not where I'm strong. He's not stupid. But the Bible says where I'm weak, there will God make me strong. So there's no excuses. And so day 40, he shows up and he talks to Jesus. Hey, you the son of God? You look hungry. You hungry? Why don't you turn some rocks into bread? We'll sit down and eat lunch, talk over old times. For the first time in human history, a human spoke the word of God to the devil and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I used to tell teenagers, that hit the devil like a ball bat. It does not hurt the devil's feelings. It tangibly hurts hell when you quote the word of God. Boom, that rocked his head, man, like somebody hit him with a ball bat. So all of a sudden he grabs Jesus, he takes him up to the top of the temple. Because if you're not eating in 40 days, your equilibrium is not too good. He's weaving and rocking up there. All of a sudden, the devil, first time in Scripture, the devil quotes Scripture. He quotes it twice. He knows it's got power in it. He doesn't know how it works. He says, it is written. It is written. Throw yourself off. The angels, they'll catch you. They won't let you stub your toe. And Jesus stood there, and he looked back and said, it is also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I tell teenagers, those are not horns on the devil's head. Those are knots Jesus put in the wilderness. <laughs> By the way, the devil's not ugly. Horror movies are a lie from the pit of hell. Lucifer is the single most beautiful creature God ever made and still is. He's pretty. He is pretty, oh, so pretty, but he's deadly. The Bible says in Isaiah, the kings of the earth will stand up to judgment, and they will question God. Is that the devil? He'll say, yes. And they're going to ask him, where's his horns? His what? Horn. He doesn't have any horns. And they'll ask God, well, where's his tail? His what? Where's his tail? He doesn't have a tail. He is the single most beautiful thing I, God, ever made. And he still is. But he's like a coral snake. He'll kill you dead. You don't play with it. Oh, man, that was good. I didn't bless myself. <laughs> no, that's where the high school said, I'm trying to mess with their head. Just, listen, the horror movies, there's no such thing as a horror movie. You know, the oh, <laughs> devil in your head twisting around, puking green stuff, and your eyeballs coming out. That's a lie. Horror movies are all a lie. It, it's a lie. Now, you want to feed on it, go ahead. But it's a lie. You might want to feed on the truth. Truth sets you free. Yeah. Liars go to hell. Outside the pearly gates of heaven are liars. Oh, that's scary. Tell the truth all the time. Quick we have a mess, tell the truth. So, Luke chapter 2, and I'll quote this amount of time. I've only got three minutes to do a 10-minute sermon. So, listen carefully. Jesus is 12 years old. His mom and dad are going down to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. It's an eight-day festival. They go every year. Jesus has been all 12 years of his life. He now has two younger siblings, and they're going down. Eight-day festival ends at noon. They're going home. Now, it's a long walk, and there's no Greyhound buses. There's no Winnebago's. You walk. And you walk in a caravan because there's a lot of thugs, thieves, and robbers out there. It's not safe to be by yourself. So they're going in the caravan. It's a four-day walk home. They leave at noon. They get about four or five hours from Jerusalem. They make camp. No Coleman lanterns. You've got to make camp before it gets dark. So you get donkeys and camels and dirt and dust and you got to put up your tent and get the fire going and cook a meal. I'm sure Mary got the meal going. She said, Joseph, get the boys here. It's time to eat. All of a sudden, two of the kids come in and say, Where, where's Jesus at? Well, I called him. Go get him. It's time to eat. Get him in here. Food's going to get cold. Well, he disappears. He doesn't come back till dark. Mary's got the other kids asleep. Where have you been? I'm looking for Jesus. Well, where's he at? Get him in. The food's cold. He's not here. He's not here. Get him in here. You know what I'm saying? He's not here. I've been from one in the camp twice, man. He's not here. Where's he at? I think we left him in Jerusalem. <laughs> we left the Son of God in Jerusalem? 
We could have lost one of these. We lose down. What kind of father are you? What kind of mother are you? And, and they yelled all night. They didn't put it in the Bible, but they yelled a lot. <laughs> so the sun comes up the next morning. They pass off, kiss the relatives. They hoof it back to Jerusalem. Man, it's almost a five-hour run back to Jerusalem. They spend three days looking for Jesus. There's no photograph. Hey, have you seen this kid? Hey, you see a kid about this high? When do you look for a 12-year-old boy? Is he in the movie theater, the pool hall, the bowling alley? There's definitely have that. And there's three days that they've lost it. We're going to burn in hell. We're going to burn in hell. We lost the Son of God. And the Bible says, finally, Joseph said, well, we, where are we not looking? She said, well, we've not looked in the temple. He's not normal. And they walk in the temple, and there he sits, the 12-year-old Jesus, astounding all the leaders with his knowledge and his questions. And Mary walks in, and she does the typical mother thing. First thing out of her mouth, she said, why have you done this to your father and I? Because when moms get mad, they drag dad in on the conference and say, he might be 12 states away. Why have you done this to your father and I? And so Jesus answered in the King James. He said, no, ye not. I need to be about my father's business. I like the new living. He says, I don't know about you, mom. I got stuff I need to be doing. What's he doing? He's trying to find out who he is. He's heard the stories. He heard about the wise men and the angels and the singing you know, heard about bringing all the gold and silver and going off to eat some, hiding, coming back. Jesus probably can't even make his bed. He can't even raise a dead goldfish. He's a normal kid with normal brothers making mud pies, throwing them to each other. But he's heard the story, so he's trying to find out. So Jesus spends 30 years trying to figure out who he is. He takes over his dad's dad dies. He takes over the carpenter business. It's a big business. They, you know, if you, they are the local Home Depot. You see Jesus and his family. You need a chair, Jesus and their family, they'll make it. You need a boat mask, well, Jesus and their family, they'll make it. Door frame, Jesus and his family, they're the local Home Depot. They'll make anything made out of wood. So all of a sudden, Jesus turns 30, and the people come to get furniture, and the brothers come in the house to marry. Say, hey, you got to do something. Jesus is not down at the shop. People want their stuff. Where's he at? Well, he's in town. There's weird stuff growing, and people's eyeballs are popping in and stuff. There's weird stuff happening. We got to get them. They're going to kick us out of the synagogue. And it's in your Bible. You can read it. And Mary goes to town, and Jesus is in this house packed so tight you can't get anybody in. It's the house that took the roof off the floor with that one crippled guy in to get healed. And somebody shows, hey, hey, Jesus, your mother's outside and your brother's. And Jesus said in every translation, well, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Are they not these here in the house? Mary heard him. She said, oh, I've lost him. He's gone nuts. <laughs> and so Jesus finally meets this camel hair bug-eating Baptist out in the wilderness. And he dunks him under the water. And when Jesus comes out, God sticks his hand out of heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus finally knew who he was. Then he goes off, squares off against the devil, with, hits him with three, it is written, it is written, it is written. I try to imagine the conversation after the third, it is written. The Bible says the devil left for a season. He cannot handle the spoken word of God. It's the most powerful weapon we possess. So he leaves for a season. I imagine the angels came to minister to him and fix him a meal there. And Jesus is skanky. He's not had a shower in 40 days. He's got the morning breath of a water buffalo. He's skanky. So he's sitting there and they're feeding him lunch. And I tried to manage the conversation. Jesus said, did you boys see that? Yes, yes, master. We were waiting. There were thousands of us. We were waiting, but you, we, you didn't call on us. I whipped him. Yes, you did, master. Way to go, master. You did. No, you don't understand. I didn't whip him as God. I whipped him as a man with the word of God. And soon there will be millions of us. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Our job as a Christian is to storm the gates of hell. The Bible says we're supposed to feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, help the widow, help the orphan, visit people that have been locked up, restore sick people back to health. We have a job. What are we doing? We're looking for hell. 
We're in a hell whipping mode. Every day you get up, you ought to make the devil break in into cold sweat. Oh, dear Lord, they're up. Yes, you are, big boy, looking for you. <laughs> Most Christians are hiding from hell. And, and I hear in my own family, they're saying, I just want one normal day. I just want one normal day. We're not going to get one. Welcome to earth. God bless you. Get your arm on. Get your sword out, man. Get your shield out, man. You got some hell to whip. All right. <laughs> so I try to imagine I close. I try to imagine Jesus, CNN being around in Jesus' time. They've been around forever. So Jesus turned into his ministry, and I'm at the CNN showing up one morning. Hey, Jesus, how you doing? I'm hearing a lot about you. Got you on the news. Uh, what do you have planned today? And, and Jesus said, Well, I have a busy day planned today. Uh, first thing this morning, I'm going to put some eyeballs on a blind man's head. You're going to get really excited about that. Is he going to become an evangelist? No, he, I don't think he's going to get saved. They're going to drag him down to the Sanhedrin. They're going to grill him. And they're going to ask him, do you believe this guy's the son of God? And he's going to say, I don't know. Once I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. He didn't become an evangelist. He just got his eyeballs back. Then she said, I'm going to town at lunchtime and I'm going to raise a dead kid at the funeral. Man, that's going to mess up that last meal. And then later on the scene, I'm going to here on the hillside, and I'm going to create 5,000 Happy Meals. They're going to write about that for a long time. I have a busy day. What are you doing? I'm in a hell-whipping mode. She said, the things I do shall do you, do you so also. I'm going to do the same thing she did. What are you going to do? I'm in a hell-whipping mode. But if you don't get in a hell-whipping mode, see, we don't play defense. God is our rear guard. Angels surround us. They protect us. We only play offense. Jesus said, when Jesus is up there about the Sea of Galilee toward the end of his ministry, he asked the disciples one day, he said, boys, who do they say I am? Well, Lord, they're not sure. You're not normal. That, that water walking the other day in that storm, that was not normal. Raising that dead kid, not normal. They're still talking about the 5,000 Happy Meals. We think you're a famous dead person that's come back. And he says to Peter, well, who do you think I am? And so Peter always sticks his foot in his mouth, but he did really good this time. He said, well, you're the man. You're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting on. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, which is heaven. And since you know who I am and why I'm here, based on this fact, I'm going to build a church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. I'm going to build a church that looks for hell. We're in a hell whipping mode. But if you're not in a hell whipping mode, you're in a thumb sucking mode. Man, nothing. You helping me. I got laid off. I got fired. My dog bit me. My, my coach wouldn't play. My teacher wouldn't play. And somebody's always seen some thumb-sucking sad song. Every family you not go to, well, if you think that's been, let me tell you what happened to me. And if you think that's been, let me tell you what happened. And they try to out-brag each other about the hell they've been through. It's like, I'm going to get some chicken. I'll be back. <laughs> we are the body of Christ. The most powerful thing this planet is in this room this morning. Two things last forever. The people of God, word of God. That means you've got to rearrange your priorities. If I'm not hanging around with the people of God or reading the Word of God, I need to rearrange my priorities. They need to be number one or two on my list. If I got them on my list, I'm going to be just fine. Hell makes a run at everybody. Hell makes a run at everybody. Tests and trials come to everybody. We're supposed to be more than conquerors and overcomers, not immune. Well, ever since I got saved, hell showed up. Yeah, you're in the family. God bless you. Welcome. Get your armor on. <laughs> Whoa. Because you start running the devil, he'll chase you down and invite friends to come with him. You go looking for hell, make him run, make him break out into cold sweat. We're living the greatest time of human history, people. Let's stand up. Praise God.